and welcome to a extra long and extra spooky version of Storytime with Tom and Mike. I'm Tom. Ooh, that makes me Mike. And it is my uh, distinct pleasure to once again have Lindsay on the show. We always love having her on the show. Welcome, Lindsay. Aw, thanks, guys. Hey, y'all. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 What are you, fucking um, Fred Gwynn from uh, uh, Pet Cemetery? <laughs> that still yep. holds up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It does. His his performance is immaculate in that movie. <laughs> that so whole, my, hus- so my husband has like great. a fundamental a fundamental background in like Christianity and mm-hmm. like really really strict. And he's seen like nothing, so I get to relive my entire childhood of horror and everything. Like he was like, "That cemetery, oh yeah, I never saw that." And I'm like, "Buckle up, buddy." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get ready for because the the thing about those movies is they're not just scary or whatever. They're also they have like a a sort of lesson to be learned and like one of and questions that you will go away with like uh in pet cemeteries like what happens to their souls right right and you know what i mean someone coming from that background might have other questions that yeah would never occur to me because i'm not a religious minded person really Hmm. so yeah that's interesting so he what's his reaction to these types of movies um, he re- I, I was pleasantly surprised to see that he like reacted in all the places that like I did when I was younger. Um, and I told him I was like, look, you know, there there's Stephen King that sucks, like Stephen King movies, and then there's like Pet Cemetery and yeah. Salem yeah. Lot and Maximum Overdrive and yep. a, few, a few more modern things too. But I was like, mm-hmm. not just scary. Stephen King is haunting. Right. He's really good at like just leaving you with things. They linger and they just mm-hmm. sit with you. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think the problem is that Hollywood doesn't, for the better part, know how to capture that. It's so rare, even with certain directors, like don't always hit the mark. And we're talking great directors, but uh, the it's it's very very. I think of the movie at the mouth of, or I'm sorry, at the mouth, the mouth of madness. In the mouth of madness. In the mouth of madness with, mm-hmm. uh, what's his name? Um, Neil. What's his name? Neil. Oh, not Neil Gaiman. Jeez, you're talking about he did Crying Game too, didn't he? Yes. I was going to say Neil Sedaka. It just made me laugh. Neil Jordan. <laughs> Is that no, it? No, it's not. It's uh, Sam Neil. Sam Neil. Oh, I thought you were talking about the director. No, 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 no. I, I, I kind of jumped tracks there a little bit. But, I mean, you take a look at that movie, um, and there is a scene in which he's talking to this Stephen King-esque character. Yeah. Uh, sort of a mix between Stephen King and Lovecraft. And yeah. he says, that's the problem with horror. It's never known how to properly display the anatomy of horror or something like that. And it's like... Yeah, it really is hard to hit that all those marks that make a movie go make you go, oh god, that's some dreading plotting shit that just fucking sticks with you for months. But Stephen King in book form can do it, and I think that that's maybe harder because yeah. there's so much more layer, so many more layers of detail right. that need to be 
accounted well, you're, for. You're dealing yeah. with when it comes to like a book, you're dealing with every person's um, personal horror, right? So right. when something isn't fully described in a novel, it's always scarier because you're always pulling out of the black recesses of your mind what you think is the scariest. Mm -hmm. And somebody else is doing the same thing, and it's like, what's scariest to them? And that's why like books really you know, get to you as far as um, imagery and stuff goes, because nothing's scarier than what's in your own head. Right. You know? Right. Theater, <laughs> theater of the mind. Theater of the mind. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask a question to you guys. Um, it's speaking of things that you find the scariest or the whatever, however, what if you are, I don't know if you're going to any Halloween cost costume parties or anything this year. I don't think that I am. Um, but if I were going to, I guess the question I'm going to ask you guys is what costume would you wear this year? Mike, what do you, what do you say? You I, I would, I would love to have the balls to dress up as Jesus. <laughs> and, and I really have the, the whole thing down that, uh, I could definitely go as Anglo-Saxon white Jesus. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, Halloween's all about fiction, and that dude's fictional as far as like. <laughs> well, and I don't mean I don't mean Jesus. I know Jesus existed, but like white Jesus is very fictional. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, Buddy Christ. Yeah, it's uh, it's exactly what it is, and and that's just it. I would probably get my ass beat somewhere, <laughs> somewhere very quickly along the line if I right. was to go out dressed like Jesus, because somebody would be like, "Hey, you can't do that." And next thing you know, I'm getting my ass beat, and you know, uh, I go to to bring charges up against somebody, and the police are like, "Oh, um, I didn't see anything." You know, everything's see, fine here. That's why you carry religious tracts with you and you carry like a big like Westboro Baptist Church looking sign and they'll all think you're legit. <laughs> I want to carry a sign around that says God loves fags. Though that's the whole right. thing. <laughs> right. A little bit of confusion there. Little arrow except this guy. Like have an arrow on it and stand next to people except this guy. There you go. That would be funny. Like, if you're going to go all in on the fights, go all in. Like, really stir it up. <laughs> <laughs> so what about okay, you? So, okay, so this is sacrilegious, but I have to say it. Um, but, you know, sacrilegious to some people. But, like, that instantly gave me, like, imagery of Jesus on the cross, okay, with the other two guys on the other side of him. <laughs> with a t-shirt on that says I'm with stupid and arrows pointing to each side. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking funny. <laughs> Why is that not a far side cartoon? Probably because <laughs> Gary Larson didn't want to be become commercially dead in the water for, for right. publishing it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They would have strung I don't have to them remember up. that one and share that later. <laughs> so, Lindsay, would what would be your what would be your costume for this year? Um, I have uh, kind of a few. I normally what I end up doing. I learned a long time ago not to put all my eggs in one basket with a costume because I tend to do like stuff that is special effects makeup, and I like go all in on them mm -hmm. and. Um, I always think the biggest mistake people make with costumes is that people will have like the most bitchin' costumes and then they will just have the regular eyes. 
And I'm like, if you would have taken 25 bucks and just ordered contacts, it would have made the whole look come together. So usually every year I go on, um, you know, like a special effects contacts website and I get about two or three pairs of contacts and I just kind of let inspiration get me and look at what I have around. Most years I have something huge planned, but with like ever since I had my son, I don't do huge, huge costumes anymore. Mm -hmm. But I got like some, I got like some Pennywise eyes. Um, And not that I'm going to do Pennywise, but they would just looked cool. Um, I've got like, I finally was able to get some like complete white out where it completely deads my eyes, completely white. And um, those are always sold out. So I got those. So I'm really stoked to try something with that. I have this like old antebellum kind of looking dress. Um, I don't, like it almost looks like a, a gothic madam in a saloon. So I was kind of thinking of maybe trying to do a uh, like a zombie madam type deal, like try to mess around with that. And then my son has been saying that he wants to uh, he, he started watching the Undertaker special on Netflix Okay. There's like an interactive Mm -hmm. Netflix special with The Undertaker and New Day, like this WWE special. And he's been obsessed with it. And he's like, Mom. That's wrestling, Tom. Thank you. Yes, I know that. He's like, Okay, so make sure. (laughs) He's like, Mom, I really want to go as The Undertaker for Halloween. And I got to go to Goodwill over like more than once. I'm going to go to a few thrift shops and see if I can either find the overcoat or something I can fashion into the overcoat and I can make the hat like that's I can make it with cardboard if I need to. But um, I just thought it would be and this will make zero sense if you have no knowledge of wrestling history. But I thought it would be <laughs> funny as hell if he was a tiny undertaker and I dressed as Paul Bearer and just went around with the yard and was like, Ooh, yeah. yeah, behind him and stuff. I just thought that would be so fun. I like it. I like it. I yeah. I might have a big problem with the, the contacts, not in principle, but in, in practice. Mm-hmm. I cannot put contacts into my eyes. I have tried for years. I couldn't at first. It, it was hard, but I finally kind of got a little technique down. And usually every time, like, it sucks at first. And I'm not good with contacts, so I have to take, like, re-wetting drops with me. And you have to, like, put drops in your eyes probably once an hour. Yeah. So I still have to, like, do that because they really irritate me, but they're so worth it. They make every look, like, way more intense. Oh, for sure, because your eyes are so important to the communication that you're giving out right. visually. Like, they're, they're a part of your story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I always thought it'd be cool to have, like, cyberpunk eyes, you know? Like, like have that little... Even if they could do something that would look like it glowed, um, like some kind of like a tactical overlay or like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just always thought that was a cool thing to have. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure they do have that. I'm sure they're pretty sophisticated, like layers and layers and shit. That's what I'm looking for. Something that looks like it has multiple layers to it. That'd be cool. That I could still see through. And, and I mean, ultimately I've always wanted robot eyes. Because oh, they I, definitely have those. They have like they have ones that are like circus, uh, circuit, not circus, circuit boards, and then they have ones that are kind of like they kind of like look like the Matrix, like with the the coating. 
have those. Well, no, I mean, I mean literal robot eyes. Like, replace my eyes. Oh, with, have you ever thought about getting Lasix? Uh, I have, but my my prescription keeps. It's a moving goalpost. It, it my oh. prescription continues to change. It hasn't been stable in my entire life. Oh, so you have to have a stable prescription for a while. I didn't know that. You do for like hmm. a year or two years or something. Oh, like geez, that. yeah, that changes yeah. the game. It sure does, and yeah. I don't want to lose my vision. But like, it would be awesome to just have like the ability to like zoom, and like fucking. You know, like like pay for upgrades. Be like, all right, <laughs> I've got like an overlay. I have what time it is. I have my apps up there. You know, I can just with the flick of an eye, I can access all my emails and shit. So I can get it's even a night l- vision. So I can get even less shit done in my life. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, all those cool fancy things aside, it's just like to me the idea of. <laughs> My eyes slowly going bad is terrifying to me. So, oh, yeah, me too. You know, yeah. like replacing mm. them with, you know, robotic eyes that can't degrade, just get upgraded right. once in a while, you know, improve firmware or whatever. That's a cool idea to me. But my cost. I, don't know, I, I might be like, if we were among that type of technology, I don't know. I might change the case out before I put in a new hard drive. Like make the outside look a little bit at first. I gotcha. I gotcha. So a full on modification package. Oh, for sure. That's a more interesting concept to me. That might be like a return visit, Lindsay, because um, that I'd love to sit here for like a half an hour and talk about what kind of cyber modifications we would get. (laughs) <laughs> oh God! Yes, that would be so cool. Because I'm th- I'm talking dirty, filthy fucking stuff too. Because oh, yeah. you don't you don't get that covered in a lot of the movies and the book the books sometimes, but I feel like we could give it a a, a proper seeing to. But onto my costume, I was originally thinking I would want to be the spirit of jazz from um, the Mighty Boosh. I don't know if you guys saw that episode, but Noel Fielding plays the spirit of jazz, and he's just this ridiculously over-the-top jazz man skeleton guy. And (laughs) I thought that would be pretty funny. Um, And I I usually, like, with my my costumes, I like to make people laugh because it's hard for me to vamp and be scary to people. I can be physically imposing, but anyone who knows me is like, Tom's not scary. What are you fucking talking about? You know, so um, but then I thought, well, you know, I've always been told as a younger man that I look like Private Pile from uh, um, Full Metal Jacket, Full Metal Jacket. And uh, as I age, I think that I don't look as much like Vince D'Onofrio as I used to, but I could probably pull off Pinhead from Daredevil. If I if yeah. I shave my beard off and wore like a, a just a, a a suit white shirt, black mm-hmm. pants like a suit jacket, I could pull it off. I couldn't wear my glasses though. That's my biggest downfall in in costuming is that everything revolves around my blind fucking need for glasses. My dream costume, I almost achieved it. Um, It was like, after I got into shape, I promised myself, I've literally wanted to do this since before I knew how inappropriate it was. Um, But 
probably since 12, 12 or 13. That's around the age when I got obsessed with this movie. But I wanted so badly. And I, I got a few, I got a few years left. I'm I'm really I really want to try to make it happen. It's like my dream Halloween costume. I want She's to She's gonna be say that. Harley Quinn. I know it. Oh fuck no. <laughs> um God. Jesus. Um, I, I want to be Frankenhooker, and I want to wear like the uh, black. I want to wear like the black wig, and I want to like do different different color um, pieces of my arm, and do the uh, use wax and and make stitches, and have the bolts, and have the you know the bolted on looking tits, and the in the purple <laughs> skirt, and just walk stiff in my platform shoes, and just be like, want a date? Looking for some action? And just do the face and everything and just like basically anybody that gets it tell them that we need to be friends that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah um can you do that voice again want a date looking for smashing that's probably pretty, not how she said it that's pretty well practiced though i can tell you've worked on that a lot oh i need to watch i hadn't watched that movie in a long time i was so obsessed with it though <laughs> Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think like, because I thought you were going to talk about uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, I've done, I've done yeah. that to death. Yeah, I figured, I figured you've done that before. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did it uh, like two Halloweens ago, as a matter of fact. I, I, just, I was magenta. It was the first time I was ever magenta. I I've just never had. I guess I could be. Um. Eddie. That would See, be cool. I could do Eddie. I the thing I always think about is that and this is not like to self-denigrate, but rather to be realistic is that if I'm going to put on a costume it has to look natural to the character I'm portraying. Like yeah. If if there is a world where there's a fat Spider-Man, I can make that work. Like I could be the ham the pig guy, right? We got the multiverse now, dude. Make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I can. I'm not saying that I can't, but I don't know. I I feel like it'd be more interesting if I played a Batman villain who is naturally large, you know, like Humpty Dumpty. Like no one does that character. It'd be yeah. super obscure, and only <laughs> geeks, only like comic geeks would get it, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's awesome." You know what I mean? And that's what I'm looking for. I don't really. In a costume, I want the 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 really, like out in the in the the fields people to get it, you know, not not <laughs> yeah. the, not the core people, not the people. And I mean, I once went to a uh, a party dressed as my own character from an ep- a show that I did with a friend called uh, Buddy Cop. Now that they have a different guy who's like a professional actor and he's amazing in it, but I did the pilot episode for this and I remember uh, that. and yeah. and I went to a party dressed as buddy cop That's funny. and uh, nobody except the host who saw the movie got the joke and they're all just looking at me like what the fuck is this guy because my hair's all coated and soaked in 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 um, coconut oil to make it look yeah. greasy and it's combed over to the side and I've got this stupid badge hanging in front of me and like this coffee stained <laughs> t-shirt or like this coffee stained like button down shirt. And like, I, I just look re- and I have a terrible mustache and like, you know, I kept the mustache specifically. That's like every day. 
No, I don't. <laughs> no, no, no. No. I had dyed it brown. I had dyed it brown specifically. It was ten times worse than anything <laughs> that I Can I tell you what my twisted head, like, immediately thought of when you told me, like, no, I don't look like anybody or whatever. And I mean this in the most flattering way possible because I had a giant crush on him when I was younger. And again, before I knew how inappropriate it was, um, I think that you, it'd be a really subtle, like, costume, but with how big um, true crime is right now and all the podcasts and all the documentaries, I think that you could rock a Mark David Chapman costume. I probably could. Hmm. Like I the probably big could. these glasses with yep. the, uh, what's it called? The, uh, the um the tinting yes yes yeah gotta yep. have that you have yeah. like that yellowish brownish tint to them yep. yes carry around a copy of catcher in the rye in your back mm -hmm. pocket just a really more of like a a, a cursed cosplay type you know thing where you're just it's really subtle you know mm -hmm. I think and that just, would be and I, I think I would just steep myself in as much as I don't like Jared Leto as a person I have to admit that some roles he has done have been pretty impressive, and I would have to watch that movie in which he gained like 60 pounds in order to portray Mark David Chapman. Right. So I'd probably have to watch that a couple of times. Speaking of that, biopics, my God, have you guys seen this Robin, um, Robin yes. Williams? Uh, yes. It, it, yes. It's like a five minute long, like, film, sort of like. Like I don't know what to call it. Like it's like a it's like a test piece. It's a short, yeah. It's like yeah. a test reel. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really part of a of a greenlit movie. It's just no. He's trying to get attention, obviously, because he wants right. to play it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just saw yesterday for the first time, and it is. I mean, he is. It is transcendent. He is channeling Robin Williams. Yeah. He, I've not seen anything like that since, like, um, Andy Kaufman being done by Jim Carrey. Right. You know, I uh, do think that at some point, if you guys are interested, I would love to talk about the most overrated comics of all time because Belushi's my number one. And I would love to debate that. <laughs> really? <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. I'm sure. I'm sure we have some opinions on that. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hey, everybody, or should I say every boo-boo? And greetings from Peru. It's a Salvatore, which is Peruvian for Big Fan. I'm here today to wrap at you a little about story time with Tom and Mike. I'm here to tell you their stories are worth hearing, each and every one of them. Let me tell you something about Tom. We met in 2014, and he instantly became one of my best friends. I don't know why, you know? I guess I could say he's a real stand-up, solid dude. I think is, we're like best friends, right? So when I found out he had a podcast, I instantly listened to every single episode so I could be a guest in one, you know? You could call it my introduction to broadcasting. Just listen to episode 98. Episode number 98, that's 9-8, with me, dude, trust, it's the best one. And Mike, Mike is Tom's friend, Tom's good friend, great friend, 
they get along perfectly. They've got great chemistry. I love Mike, and you'd love him too. I mean, who wouldn't? Mike's got beautiful long hair. He's got an unforgiving but tender sense of humor, and I know he likes soda. I dig soda too. We're soda jerks together. That that sound is wrong. I'm sorry. I really get my rocks off to Tom and Mike. That better? Yeah. So the important thing here is you're getting something authentic. Friends shooting shit. Real friends talking about shooting shit. You guys are into guns, right? I know one of you has been in the military. Storytime with Tom and Mike is my favorite podcast and I've heard every episode and it's made my life so much better in many ways. So remember, dear listener, tune in to Storytime with Tom and Mike every uh, Tuesday at 4 p.m. Or wait, 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 that's the record. I don't remember. Fuck it. Tune in every hour of every day until a new episode is up because I may be in it. Oh, it's Saturday at 9 p.m. Good night and good luck, everyone. And we all wish you a happy Halloween. Do you like to be scared? I know I do. But there's a difference between being scared at the movies and being scared in real life. And sometimes being scared in real life, that can have an addictive quality to it. But usually it's when you're in some kind of control. But when you've experienced the supernatural or something occult, something that is outside the reaches of normal explanation, you know true fear for the first time because there's no explaining it. And that's what this segment is about. We're going to talk about our either our own scariest real-life stories or stories that have been passed down to us by friends or family or grandparents, you know, something like that. Hmm. Um, so uh, I've done this one before, I think, on the show, but I'll try to tell it a little differently because it does lend itself to be t being told again. Um, when we grew up in my my house on Hawkersville. This is a big brick house, three stories, well, two stories in a really tall attic ending in a cathedral ceiling. And the attic had been refurbished into a bedroom. And that was my bedroom. So I was up there, and this was probably in like 1995, 96. <coughs> and I hear what I think to be uh, laughing children Uh, coming from outside the house because I had my windows open so I could hear something and I look out the window but I can't see anything so I I storm downstairs fling open the porch door step out onto the porch look around nobody nothing no evidence of anybody screwing around okay I close the door I turn off the porch light I go back upstairs as I'm passing uh, the uh, I'm getting to the top of the landing to the second floor And my mom's bedroom is right there, and I hear noises coming from there, like, like crying and and and, and shrieking, kind of. So I, I I just don't even think about it. I fling open the door, and my mom is inconsolable in my dad's arms, just weeping and shuddering and 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 like in a pure panic. 
And I say, Dad, let me talk to her. And uh, he's like, okay. Clearly he wants to go back to bed. (laughs) 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 Um, So I take her out uh, to the hallway and we talk for a while. And she tells me what, what happened. So she was laying in bed and I don't, she didn't think she was asleep. And she saw this black amorphous sort of blob just floating over her head and it had no shape to it really it just constantly moved and 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 undulated like a like an amoeba or something weird and she said it had this sense this way of looking into her that made it worse than anything she'd ever imagined like it was worse than satan she said it was beyond Satan. It was it was evil, hmm. like it was the definition of evil, and it wanted to destroy her completely on every level, like her soul, her spirit, her mind, her body, everything. And um, I can't remember if she said whether or not it spoke to her, but I imagine in the state of terror she was in, she wouldn't remember much anyway. But uh, so I, I just remember you know, kind of consoling her and telling her like, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you about that. I've never seen anything like that in the house, but you know, stuff that I've read suggests that that's not a good thing. Wow. And, and then later I encountered it in my own room floating over the bed, like a black hole. It was just, you know, like Vanta black, that material that's so black that it refracts right. absolutely zero light. Yeah, right. it was. It's like it was like that, just hanging yeah. in midair and moving, oh, and fuck. and uh, it was fucking scary as shit. And the weirdest thing about it is that rather than deal with it, I just went back to sleep, and I found that to be kind of <laughs> something that I do. Yeah. You like? Did you rationalize it that like you oh, I'm just dreaming like or did I, you have the innate like feeling that it was totally real? It was totally real and nothing for me to worry about that. It was putting on a show and oh. I was like, like, I was like, you don't impress me. I'm not scared of you. So you felt like it was benevolent. No, fuck. No, no, it okay. was a nasty motherfucker, but it only had as much power. It's like Santa Claus or fucking. A god or a god or Freddy Krueger. Yeah, only if you're Mm. afraid of it, if if you're acknowledging its existence as something in the universe that it has any power over you. It's like it. Oh, wow. It's like it. But this thing was like a void or a blob. I always think of it as the blob. And this thing, you know, it's funny, though, that that my experiences growing up in that house with that blob thing have in many ways informed how I deal with what I'd perceive to be paranormal now. A very good example of that and shows how desensitized and almost shell-shocked I am. Um, The other night, I was in my kitchen and the lights were off except for one, like really kind of a dim light. And I was just, I don't know if I was like making a sandwich or what I was doing. Um, (laughs) But I hear this voice coming from the living room singing in this like sort of high-pitched falsetto, like, like that, and I'm like, and my blood froze, and then I said to myself, I said, whatever that is, I'm not dealing with it. And then I went and turned tail and walked to my bedroom, and as I did, I realized over my shoulder 
Oh, it was my wife. She was in the ki- she was in the living room doing something, and the, and the lights were out, and she was back there singing. And I told her this, and she said, "You've got balls of steel," because I would have been freaking the fuck out if I had heard singing coming from a creepy dark room. And I was just—I guess I was just so like—I just was like, "Fuck that!" If I acknowledge that, it's gonna get worse. If I just go to sleep, I'll, it'll leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, if I acknowledge my wife singing, it's just going to get worse. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, but it was a, it was, it was just a weird environment to grow up in. I mean, there was a benevolent spirit, but she wasn't scary. She was nice. I only met her, well, met her, saw her once, um, for a fraction of a second, um, and I didn't really get any vibe off of her at all. She just seemed like a sweet old lady in, like, Victorian um, dress. But that's the thing, right? Like, why are they always in Victorian dress? Like, the thing about ghosts that bugs me is that it's always... It's not like some guy in, like, a, a FUBU hoodie. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? Like, like a backwards baseball cap. Like, like no, they're wearing, like... They're wearing like a rough or something. Or maybe they just blend in and they're just among us all the time. And since they're wearing modern clothes, we just don't, don't see them. See them. Yeah. Yeah. Like Eddie or uh, Edward uh, Victor. Victor um, from uh, You're Pet, about Cemetery. Pet, oh, Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Victor, yeah. Um, I can't remember Pascal. his last name. Pascal. 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 Yeah, yeah. Um, how he was, he would have, without the gaping brain wound, he right. would have fit in with anybody. Well, I guess that sort of answers my question of if there's ghosts, how come we don't see billions of them? Because, you know, you think about all the people that have lived on the earth up to this point, we should be fucking jam packed with ghosts. Well, but you know what? I think it's like I, like my creative mind jumps in here. Like the writer in me wants to jump in and say, okay, so um, in horror, we have canon, right? So um, we got vampire canon. Like we know, uh, we know the rules. We know everybody knows the universal vampire rules and the werewolf rules and stuff like that. It's been around forever, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we also know that demons and vampires like basically any supernatural entity that is given um you know eternal life or um at least prolonged life and strength that the older they are the more power they have sure what if what if we only see the people dressed in the old clothing because they're the oldest spirits. They're the eldest. The so they have the power to manifest a, what it, what's the word, corporeal body? Yeah. Corporeal. So, that so corporeal, basically, they, basically they've, they've had enough practice transcending the realms between our worlds right. that they can affect change there. Right. Like, remember, hmm. for example, like the movie Ghost. This is such a lame, you know, <laughs> example, but it's just oh really love. simple and everybody my will understand time. it. <laughs> like, remember, like all the experienced older people could like move things and they could like bump into people. And he was like just struggling to make a penny off the damn wall. Right. Um, 
Right. Oh, I was <laughs> thinking of that guy in the subway, that creepy character actor who I can never remember the name of. Who was I was also just in, thinking of a pottery wheel myself. That's you know. He was also in in Death to Smoochie, I think. He's like, now leave me alone. He's scary as fuck in that movie. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. He's a, yeah, he's one of those like creepazoid guys that was in everything back then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he still pops up and <laughs> stuff once in a while. Yeah, he was great and he was great in um uh Death to Smoochie. He was like well, I thought you quit smoking. Uh, I thought you quit heroin. He's like, oh, I, I I stopped. I stopped smoking until I got to the opium or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to cut that. <laughs> okay. I haven't seen that movie in so long. That's a joke. That's a, that's a running joke. If I say I'm going to cut that, that means it stays in. Yeah, it's, it's staying in. Yep. Right. So, uh, Lindsay, what is your scariest real life story? Okay, so I have a few, and I've been like really struggling, like which one will come off the best. Um, so, I want to tell two. The first one is like literally twenty seconds long. Okay. But I think there's like such a huge difference between shit you hear in childhood versus like things that happen to you in adulthood, right? And as a kid, you're still trying to figure out fantasy and reality. You know, you still haven't explored the the world. You you like could there really be vampires? Who knows? Like you think mm-hmm. about the shit when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. So um, back in the day, like my oldest brother is, uh, and I was recently thinking about this because the person in the story just just died, and it's just one of my favorite stories of his because it's just some just fucked up like uncle shit it's just some shit your uncle would do to mess with you and i love it um and just you know you know it was something i know this is something that he said in passing and he never gave it another thought and it sat with me for like 25 years um we were over like my aunt had this house uh this is morehouse missouri the house the the town's like a mile wide a mom graduated from high school with like 25 people in her senior class, very small town. And, um, we would go visit her mom, um, and, you know, my grandma, my uncle, my cousin, and, uh, my aunt had a really nice house, um, or more house. And she lived there with my grandma, <laughs> but then my uncle ended up getting, uh, like a, uh, trailer, like a double wide. And it was fancy, you know, like we thought it was amazing. <laughs> But he got a double wide and basically just put it on their property so we could like go back and forth. And when we came in town, they didn't have a bunch of spare bedrooms. We usually stayed in my uncle's trailer. So my uncle's thing back then, they had like one video store. And it was bitching because it had all kinds of crap, but like all the corporate places didn't have it. It's one of those small town things like this. For example, this rental place had faces of death. You oh, my God. Not, you wow. could find that everywhere. You could not. And so, um, and that's like faces of death is like, Ooh, that's, that's where the, so much crap started with me. Um, but one night, you know, he, he would always give us like 20 bucks and be like, go rent some movies, get some junk, blah, blah, blah. And we'd take 20 bucks and just feel rich. We'd all get to rent like two movies each cause it was dirt cheap and we could all get a snack. We were always renting crap that our parents were like, you can't watch because they never checked on us. They were just glad to be kid free for the night. Right. Was the night with my uncle, and <laughs> as usual, we're like 
watching some shit. My oldest brother is six years older than me. And my next brother is two years older than me. And um, I don't think I could have been any older than like seven, which meant like my other brother's nine. And then, uh, you know, my other brother is what? What is that? Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. 13. So, and it, it was usually like guys, like they were always palling around. I was kind of the third wheel, but, you know, I was a young, young one, the only girl. And one night, um, they had like made me go lay down in the other room and I'd like snuck and like lay, army crawled and like laid on my belly and watched Friday the 13th from mm-hmm. another room and got <laughs> caught. They were like, screw it, watch it, whatever, you know? And I, of course it scared the ever loving dog snot out of me. I was so young and, um, we're sitting there and it's, you know, everybody's about to go pass out. And my uncle Rocky, he like starts, you know drawing the curtains and you know picking stuff up he was a big cleaner and stuff and he starts messing with stuff and he goes over to the window and he looks out the window and he turns around and looks at us and he's just like he has like this look on his face of like fear and he goes all right everybody needs to go to bed and we were like what's going on (laughs) and he's like everybody needs to go to bed and we didn't, we were like, we didn't know what was going on, but he was like adamant about it and all this kind of stuff. And then he told us that there was a guy um, outside when he looked outside right in front of the trailer and the guy was digging a grave. Super simple story. Mm. All you got to do is open the door and see he's full of shit. But that stood by me forever like that. That he like pulled that, you know, just random, you know, and it wasn't true, obviously, but that stuck with me forever. It was so <laughs> stupid. It was so simple. And now I have a real one. Do you want to hear paranormal or do you want to hear stalked by a stranger for real? Ooh. Like, like hunted down. Mm. I, Halloween I, I think I want to go with paranormal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I want to hear the paranormal. I do want to hear the other one, but maybe another time this paranormal just feels more halloweeny to me okay so um i grew up in a very uh christian family uh very conservative um my grandma like burns my copy uh my mom burned my copy of rocky horror picture show my grandma yelled at me for listening to wilson phillips and called it secular music like you know (laughs) wilson phillips Phillips. Yeah. In league with the devil. Someday yeah. things are going your yeah. way. I can't believe you're listening to that. Exactly. Sick music. And so, um, and my parents weren't like crazy or anything, but of course they like fell into that uh, vernacular when they were with my grandma. Mm-hmm. And there was like this unspoken thing for me to fall in line because I was a girl and girls were treated differently in the church and guys could basically like taste their joy and do whatever they wanted to. And girls, you know, they had their place. Well, um, because I grew up how I did, like possession and occult, all that type of stuff, it's just like trying to tell somebody, don't touch that, that's hot, and they have to see for themselves. I always had to, like, explore that kind of thing. And uh, one of the biggest no-nos in my family was, like, tarot cards and Ouija boards and stuff like that. And between my upbringing and the movie Witchboard, like, I was terrified of Ouija boards. 
and but I was also so fascinated by them. Well, um, my brother's best friend had come over one night and he had brought, um, I don't know if they still do, but at this time, like Milton Bradley made a Ouija board. And it was like, you, you got, you got like the pointer thing. Like it was very much, it was just a traditional Ouija board and it was literally like 10 bucks. It was really cheap. Um, and my brother's friend Brett brought it over and they, I guess, did their thing. And then, um, they like hid it under the bed and I always snooped and shit and I found it and I just freaked out. I mean, it was, I couldn't have been more excited unless I'd found like pornography or a pack of cigarettes, like any kind of like, <laughs> and, you know, I was just all over. And I'd have like four friends in the night and my mom had always drummed in my head. Like, you don't ever play with stuff like that. You don't know what you're inviting into our realm. Just all of that stuff has very much been alive in my family. Like I live in the kind of family where um, I accidentally saw the exorcist and went to my grandma and said, grandma, can people really get possessed by the devil? And my grandmother looked at me and must have beaten said, absolutely. So I grew up thinking like all of that stuff was real for a certain amount of time. Well, so we get back, we get it, you know, and we're like, we put it like up our shirts and, you know, and like sneak down and we, we like do the Ouija board thing. And I played like a joke on one of my friends and like went absolutely like um, mute and then like pretended to choke another friend. And it was like all a setup and we're like, oh my God, Lindsay, you're crazy. (laughs) My mom comes and she finds out what we're doing with the Ouija board. And she's like, absolutely fucking not. Put that up, get it out of my house like where did you even get that and i'm like it's, it's it's not mine mom like come on chill and i told her it was like this kid that used to hang out with my brother brett and she's like i don't give a shit whose it is get that shit out of my house i was like what like what do you want me to do where, where do you want me to put it and she goes put it on the front porch by god and have kevin <laughs> call, call brett to pick that shit up i don't want it in my house i don't want it anywhere near you girls i don't want y'all mess around don't let me catch you doing any of that shit of course we made our own ouija board and like we continue to do it but like mm-hmm. i was like okay mom and i put it on the porch okay so it was on the porch i mean it wasn't even a, a I, I i honestly don't remember how long it was but it wasn't long <laughs> and um i opened the front door because I, I think I wanted to like mess with it some more or something. And I opened the front door and there was this dog on the porch. And I'll never forget it. It was like a gigantic, like rust colored cow. And it like, as soon as I opened the door, it, and it I mean, it was literally standing in the pathway facing the door open the door this dog starts like starts growling like this deep you know and it was like salivating and i was like holy shit and i slammed the door like that's crazy and my mom is like did you did you uh just go out on that front porch and you put that out there didn't you i was like mom mom there is a rabid dog on the front porch and she's like bullshit 
And I go, look. And she looks out the front door and she's like, Lindsay, there's nothing out there. And I immediately start freaking out, looking around for my cat. And I'm like, where's Walter? That was my cat's name. Um, I'm like, where did Walter go? (laughs) Because he was indoor, outdoor. And Walter was a straight up gangster. He was a huge tomcat. You know what I mean? Like he was not a cat that you wanted to tussle with if you were another cat or perhaps a weak human. And I was freaked out because I couldn't find him. But all I knew was like this dog was outside and I was freaked the hell out. And he would come if I would open the door and call him. So I'm like, okay, I'll just go to the side door because we had a back door, a side door and a front door. And I go to the side door and I'm like, you know, there's, you know, I'll just call him, you know, I'll see the dog come and I'll slam the door. I'll go ahead and have the handle lock. It'll be fine. So I go over to the side door to open it and call Walter and I open the door and that dog's right there. And it's growling and it's salivating. And I'm like, and I mean, I was just like, how did it, like, how did it, how did he even know I was going to open the side door? And I was freaked out. And I, at that point I was like starting to like have a panic attack because like Walter was like my first you know love of my life cat like i'm a cat person and i freaking loved that cat and i like get, i i you know snuck to the back door and i opened the back door and the dog was right there and it was just growling salivating and we were trapped in my house this dog i don't know it seemed like it seems paranormal because and i'm sure Maybe just coincidence, obviously, I don't know. But we're messing with this Ouija board. My mom warns us, I blew her off. And then suddenly this rabid dog appears and seems to be trying to trap us in the house. And we were trapped in the house. And then all of a sudden I heard uh, my cat and I was like, no. And we had to call animal control too. I can't remember if my cat chased it off or if animal control came because it was so long ago. But I just remember being terrified. I'll never forget opening the door and seeing that. And I mean, chows are big and chows are mean too. Um, They can be, just like anything. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, when I say they're mean, like I'm, I'm telling, I'm, I mean, like it's a breed that is mean without direction and training a lot of times, especially like I, I grew up with one. Right, but I had my grandma had a chow. I wasn't like. Uh, or my, I'm sorry, one of my friends had a chow. Um, I wasn't scared of them. I love dogs. That's the thing. I wasn't even scared of big mm-hmm. dogs, you know, and, but it was just like, obviously like this dog was not friendly, was not it. And it, and I mean, it, it was just a, a bizarre, um, set of events that happened to happen and coincide, but it just seemed bizarre that this, you know, rabid dog and then basically like what my my little um my little familiar chased him off <laughs> my little cat <laughs> like i love that like i kind of look at it like again like cat's eye stephen king style like yeah. the cat that kills the troll for drew barrymore like i i, I always thought of it like that way like my cat because i heard him like Row! you know and i'm sure well, animal troll came later and picked him up but I, my cat was what, like, kind of got him out of our vicinity. 
I have to say that I think that cats have an, an ethereal quality to them. Um, anyone who's had a cat, first of all, anyone who says they've owned a cat is confused because you don't own another living creature. And I, I'm very adamant about that this, these days. Like, I used to kind of let it slide, but now I'm like, no, you're a guardian to that creature, not that its owner. Sense. You know, that's that's just hmm. me proselytizing a little bit. But I am I consider myself to be my animal's guardian. Yeah. You know, so... Um, as a guardian to many cats over many years, I can tell you that they they sense things that we don't yeah and sometimes it's just a speck of dust but sometimes i'm they'll all four of them will be staring at the same spot on the wall rapidly for like 15 minutes and my wife and i are just sort of like laying there like uh you know eyes going back and forth in our heads like uh is this something we should be worried about <laughs> you know <laughs> and and uh uh but i you had talked about, you know, the, the Ouija board, and uh, I had, well, I didn't play with it myself. I've never used one, but I was, uh, when I was a teenager, I had a friend who killed himself, uh, and I won't, I'll spare you guys all the gory details, but um, we'll call him Jake. So Jake killed himself when I was 17. Oh, wow. And when I was, and he was a real close friend, so that really shook me up. And uh, when I was, uh, you know, around that same time, shortly after he died, my mom had this terrible nightmare in which uh, uh, this this demon came up out of the ground and said, Jake is in hell and laughed. And then she woke up. Um, so, you know, she's terrified that he's in hell. And and that's kind of like I had a Christian upbringing, so I wasn't really sure what my feelings on hell were yet. Yeah. Uh, and and so to me that that was just kind of a foregone conclusion like we well, you know suicidal people people who kill themselves. Oh yeah. We all grew up in the Christian church being preached that that people yeah. who committed suicide went to hell and it's not even in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It it was created as a a rule later because people kept dying uh because they wanted to get closer to God. Right. Um yeah, it's it's just a totally twisted. It was like uh, they were doing their jobs too well and losing their constituency. <laughs> um, but well, I, I will say this: like it's, uh, uh, you know, I hear that and I'm like, that's crazy, that's cuckoo. Like, why would anybody do that? However, mm -hmm. um, people that are highly suggestible, um, it's a different story. And when my kid got um preached to by my grandma and my dad and other religious people in my family um the most freaked out i ever ever was was when he said that he wanted to die mm. and i was like baby what are you, what are you talking about and he goes mommy if i kill myself then I can go to heaven and see Grandma Lulu, my mom. And he goes, and if you kill yourself too, we can go together. And then we'll be with Grandma Lulu and we'll be with this person. And it was just like, 
well, almost like a, an equation for him. One plus one equals two. And I'm like, geez. that to me, mm-hmm. that said it all. That when he said that, and then when he also said, um, uh, he asked me um, something about Harry Potter, and he framed it in a real life way. And I was like, baby, Harry Potter isn't real. And he was like, what? And he starts freaking out. And he he like kind of like cocks his head a little bit and he looks confused and he looks at me and he goes but i don't understand why is jesus real but harry uh potter isn't and i was like you know what son that's a that's a better question than you even realize it really is Mm. he was like wait you're telling me that this supernatural stuff and this and this and this and that's just magic and that's real and he's like so why should i believe in jesus I'm like, that's way too much of a complicated thing to make, to talk to any kid about. Right. But there's a party that kind of wants to like cheer them on in that direction a little bit, but not too far in that direction to where they become cynical and, um, you know, militantly atheist. But on the other hand, to where they have an open mind. So there's like all this guidance you have to do. And, and, uh, I have to say I'm very, very um, relieved once again that I don't have children because to have to navigate through that must be difficult. Well, I had to kind of, you know, like figure out what I was going to say and stuff and like what position I was going to say, like take or whatever. And um, I uh, I don't want to I don't want to offend anyone. I'm not I know I'm not going to offend y'all, but uh, uh, (laughs) I. I don't believe in atheism. Um, I think it's as big a horseshit as a really hardcore fundamentalist saying, I know for a fact, you know, Jesus is the son of God and all that. And I'm like, uh, but the nerd in me, like the person that loves science and the person that loves, you know, information, data, all that. I'm like, okay, prove it. You know, can you, prove there's no God? No. No more than you can prove that there is a God. So um, I think most people are just agnostic, but they, I think that they go so hard the other way because of how we've grown up and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you've grown up in fundamental Christianity and stuff like that. You're just like, nope, I don't believe in God. You know what I mean? Well, I have to say that many of the people I've known who were, um, uh, uh, hardcore, like militant atheist, mm-hmm. are are have a very poor ability, in my experience. And there's only a few people that I know who are like this, but they have a very poor ability to deal with anything that falls outside of the lines of scientific reason. If yeah. It, if and if you bring it up, they they get angry, like right. like irritated, like someone like a gnat is at mm. them. And I, I used to think that that was just, like, rudeness. But now I, I come to think of it as, like, a fear reaction. It's like, I don't, I'm not comfortable about that topic because I don't understand it. It scares me. And I don't want to talk about things that scare me. Right. Because I don't want to feel weak. Oh, people like you know. to, people don't want to be wrong. They don't want to feel weak. They don't want to feel vulnerable. Right. And then also they don't want to admit that they just don't know. Like that, you know, maybe, just maybe we are 
warm food and it's like let like let that sit because at some point you're going to get to the beginning of your memories if you try to think back as far as you can at one point my mom was like what's the first thing you remember and I said I remember black and I remember stars and my mom I remember talking to my mom about this and I said it just felt like I was sleeping in space and then one day there was light Hmm. And my mom was really obsessed with that. And I really do remember that hmm. black void. I really remember that. Um, but it's very interesting. You mentioned that black void because uh, people who take certain types of DMT ex- describe that exactly like, really? these, oh, yeah, there's a certain type of DMT that is derived from the Bufo Alvarez frog. Yeah. Toad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that particular type of, of DMT um, isn't really synthesized. It's milked from the frogs and um, taken and, and scraped off of like a clear surface, like a plastic yeah. or a, a glass, and then smoked. And mm-hmm. um, uh, the place, I heard this with Dennis McKenna uh, on the Joe Rogan podcast years and years and years ago. And, it's been uh, a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Um, yeah, I jumped ship on that too. Well, yeah, because he's turned into a maniac. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, all my jokes in the past, beside he has turned into a maniac, and I can't, by any good rights, sit and 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 and, and acknowledge his bullshit any longer. Right. But uh, where was I with that? What was the last thing I was saying? You're talking about the void DMT and you heard it on Joe. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, they were talking about when using this particular type of DMT, the space that they went to was like this vast, colossal space field. And there were all these hives, almost like the Matrix in the uh, and all these souls in them waiting to be born. And yeah. they were and they were waiting to be reborn in this in this place. And they were like, it's so terrible. It was like terrifying, but it was terrifying in a calm and peaceful way. Well, I remember what I do remember <laughs> about this space. OK, is that there was no fear in this space. There's only a feeling of like oneness. And mm. um, uh, the only way I can like explain it is in a really super cheesy way. And I think that this is super cheesy what I'm about to say, but also I think it's also profound if you kind of think about it, because it is a, like a thread that is woven through so many stories. And um, it felt like I was just one with the, the force, just one with the universe, like in, you know, Star Wars, when Jedi die, they don't really die. They just become one with the force. Yeah. And it, it like, that's the only thing, that's the only way that I can relate it. There was no fear in this space. There was ultimate comfort. You know, there was no like um, body. It was just as if I was energy floating in space. And I don't know if that's just some made up bullshit from my brain or if that's it truly is. Maybe it's like some womb memory like being in my mom's womb that just stayed with me maybe it was a dream i don't know maybe it's a but here's my question about it being a dream if it was a dream whose memory is it based on your brain is not capable of producing sensible data from qualia 
uh, unless it has context. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, and I like, don't necessarily know if I saw anything because I know that Star Wars came out like the year before I was born. Mm-hmm. So I know that it's very possible that that could have been on TV and somebody said something that influenced something. But that concept of being one with the force, I don't even believe was introduced in the first movie. Right. I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm curious as to like. I, I don't want to completely explain these things away because I feel like that's doing a disservice. I feel like we right. all do this. We yeah. all do this dance when we tell these stories because we don't want to be looked at as weird or crazy or something. Mm-hmm. But, oh, that ship has sailed. I don't give a shit. But, uh, but I mean, it's almost a knee-jerk reaction. It's like, hey, don't judge this too hard because it's going to fucking right. rock your shit off. But the reality is we've all had shit that's happened to us that's rocked us. And, and we've never had explanations for it. And, and uh, science doesn't want to explain it or even look at it. So we're kind of up shit's creek. We get scoffed at by people when we describe it, except in the right circumstances. And then everyone in I, – I was down at the smoke shack the other day at work and just sitting around and someone was talking about – some paranormal thing and everyone in the in the place was was throwing in their two cents except for one woman who i thought thought she was better than us (laughs) because she just kept (laughs) because she just kept sitting down sort of it's like kneeling not kneeling she was leaning against a wall and she was sort of tucked her arms in in a little bit and she was holding her cigarette and she was sort of looking down at the ground and she kept smiling and nodding every now and then like ah ha ha like it was like a silent fuck you laugh can you picture what i'm saying yeah 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 so it's it's that it's that i'm gonna be a bitch just to be a bitch but i'm not gonna do enough to get punched in the mouth about it right (laughs) kind of thing (laughs) but i think it's time for mike's uh scary story Ooh. Ooh. I actually, you know, this is funny because even after quizzing people around me, I don't really have a paranormal story to tell. And I think it maybe it's because of the way that I view ghosts and stuff is that I definitely believe that spirits are real, but uh, less in a scary way, less in a in a in a way that's trying to harm anything and more uh kind of being stuck in maybe a different plane but still yeah. able to interact with with stuff with us like and a purgatory? uh I, I i don't know if i would say a purgatory but maybe just being able to cross over planes at at that point and right. being able to interact with stuff because I've had things happen that were, I mean, not scary in the least bit. Real, real fear for me comes from real life situations. Oh yeah, like uh, almost drowning a couple times for me. If I think about like the scariest fucking shit that's ever happened, story wise, uh, I used to swim behind the ladder in my grandparents' above ground pool all the time, and it was like off of a platform, so it was always usually stationary. Like the platform didn't move, the pool didn't move. And for some reason, the ladder was back a little further than usual, and I got in there, and my goggles got hooked. 
and I was trying to get my head above the water and I could get to the point where my eyes were above the water, but I couldn't squeeze the strap on my goggles enough to get my nose or my mouth above. And like, <laughs> that was the scariest. And I had another time at a public pool that I, uh, I got out in the middle of the pool and freaked out and almost drowned, grabbing onto people, trying to save myself and everything, and basically getting slugged and pushed off and everything else. Like, those <laughs> those situations to me were, were real-life terror, scary wait, stuff. Wait, so these people, were they adults, the people that pushed you and shoved you away? Uh, kids and adults that were in the pool, yeah. Just yep. blatantly ignoring the fact there's a drowning child? Yes. That's fucked up, dude. Yeah. I'm, I'll bet well, you have I'm, a lot of, like, anxiety dreams about that moment. Because I know I, I would. I do. I do about, I do about water, period. Like, uh, like you know, rivers and lakes and ponds and, and swimming pools and shit like that. Like, I'm not afraid to go swimming. I'm not afraid to go into any of these things. But it's one of those things that kind of sticks in your head. You mm -hmm. know, what happens if I'm uh, doing this and this happens and, uh, yeah. you know, or, or, or whatever, and, and I start drowning, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I've, 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 been, I've been in that situation at least twice that I can think of off yeah. the top of my head. And, uh, and uh, you know, it was, it was the scariest thing that I, that I can remember. Like, when he said scary, because yeah. I have stories, you know, like... Like my late son, uh, we were driving and there was a can of soda sitting in the center console of my car and didn't go over a bump, didn't do anything else. And all of a sudden the soda, soda shot out of the can straight up in the air. There was no explanation hmm. for why it happened. And was I always open? think, ah, it's, yeah, it was open. Yep, huh. soda was open just sitting there. I'm driving down a very smooth, straight road, and all of a sudden the soda just went flying straight up out and hit the ceiling of the car. And that's I, weird. No, that's a no idea. No idea why. That's a quantum soda. You should have saved that. I think that that's <laughs> worth at least fifty or sixty caps at the at the uh, Diamond City Market. <laughs> well, you know. If I had known back then of the Diamond City Market, perhaps I would have done that. But, uh, and, and there is a, uh, my mother has a little, like, uh, cutesy statue music box that has two little boys um, climbing into a bunk bed. And this thing only, like, nobody touches it. It sits in the china cabinet, and it's played when I was in danger or when I was deathly ill. Mm. Like, it'll start playing by itself. I had a friend, uh, I haven't talked to him in many, many years, uh, but he used to tell me this story about a, a, it was like a combination alarm clock and, and like, lamp with, um, mm -hmm. uh, like, like a Mickey Mouse face on it. And, uh, uh, Lindsay, you might remember this guy. His name was Mike. Also, he he went by uh, 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 Muff Diver. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was his username was Muff Diver. Uh, but he was a fucking hilarious dude. He was so far out out of left field all his life, but he was so funny. Um, but 
Shit, where was I going with that? Um, damn it. Wait, the, the, the clock radio well, thing? The with, clock radio, right. Yeah, Mickey Mouse. The Mickey Mouse. Yeah. So he had this clock yeah. radio thing, and he would lay there in bed as a toddler or like as a young kid, you know, like five, six, seven years old. Um, and this thing, its eyes would glow red at night and it would talk to him and it would tell him like he was going to kill him and he was going to eat his soul and all this fucked up shit. And like, hmm. he said this with total conviction. And this is a guy who, I don't want to say that like, you know, people have a dry sense of humor. His sense of humor was wet. So, um, was it moist? <laughs> it was very moist, yes. Uh, you could tell when he wasn't joking, and he was not joking about this. And how, who am I to discount it, you know? But it gives me chills every time I think about it. The, um, the craziest true yet not paranormal story that's gone around my family. You can cut this. I just have to tell you all this real quick. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so my dad was in the service. Um, much like you and your wife, Tom, and they were in station in Columbus. And this was right after they got married. And, uh, basically like my dad joined the army because they could like have a baby for free and get paid. And they wanted to get married and they couldn't do that without, you know, benefits and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. so my dad joined the army. He was, um, in Columbus and they were stationed there. And when they moved in, um, and I have my dad on camera, like, telling this whole story. It's great. Uh, he said that when they moved in, they noticed right away that their neighbors across the street were like, they look like, he said they look like beatnik. That's an old school word. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, basically, that was his way of being like, they dressed in black all the time. And he's yeah, like, I thought daddy they were just like. I thought they were just like obsessed with Jack Kerouac and poetry <laughs> and bullshit. And it's just, you know, that was just the time. Said so I didn't think anything of it. And he said, but pretty soon, like, I noticed that they had all these crazy, like, and the only thing that I can compare it to is, like, you know, in Blair Witch, when the shit is hanging from the tree, the little figures? Yeah. Okay, so my dad said they had all these, like, stick figures and different things hanging from their trees, hanging from their carport. Oof. And um, he said it was really creepy looking. And it didn't take them long to figure out that, like, these people were Satanists. Mm -hmm. And they weren't like Church of Satan. We're giving it, we're, we're sticking it to corporate Christianity and we're challenging the system. No, not Church of Satan. Like, legit what Christians think Satanism is, I feel. Right. Like some kind of weird hillbilly religion. Right. So <laughs> these people would like, um, and just off the bat, they were like really not friendly to my dad and mom. And my dad said, he said, every time we pulled up at the house, he said, these crazy assholes would come out of the house. And he said, and they would just like do all these like hand motions and weird shit. And he goes, they were just like what I thought. The only thing I could name it as it looked like they were trying to throw hexes as one would like throw gang signs. But they were doing all this, like, sat these these satanic shapes and trying to make pentagrams with their finger, like, all kinds of stuff. 
And um, <laughs> my mom and dad were like freaked out by it. But my dad mostly thought it was funny. Well, my mom didn't think it was as funny because my mother stayed at home alone all day in the house. And she's just like, like, what if these crazy assholes like come over here and decide they're going to like sacrifice mass or rape me or whatever, like kill me. And um, Mad's like, Alma, honey, come on. And my dad's just like really analytical minded dude. Mm. And my mom was like very poor, grew up in an extremely religious household. My dad did too, but he was so um, analytically minded. He's so, he was so analytical and logical, like it didn't, it didn't land the same with him. Um, but she kept saying stuff like, this is really making me uncomfortable. And then around that time, they noticed that across the street, like this girl appeared with this couple. It was like this husband and wife that were doing the, all the goofy hexing and I guess making the Blair Witch things to hang from the carport and shit, which sounds stupid. But like, you know, if you're a young woman, you know, my mom was, I guess she was like 20 or something and 19 or 20 and she's home alone. And she's from a really small town. She's not very educated. It was scary as shit to her. And they oh, were, yeah, like, constantly, yeah. like, yelling across the street, throwing hexes, saying, like, Satan this and that and all this kind of, just all this weird shit. But it just alarmed my mom and dad that this, like, 16-year-old popped up out of nowhere with them. Been different if they had this, like, kid with them. But, like, just suddenly this, you know, girl was, like, palling around with them. And my mom and dad started to grow really concerned that they were hurting her or something they didn't know what to do and um uh they came home one day from work my dad came home one day from work and checked the mail and they'd put a snake in the mailbox yeah and then um and things just kept kind of going this speed my mom was terrified and then one day out of nowhere there was like a, a knock at the door, doorbell rang, whatever. And my mom was really scared because she was by herself. But she was like, oh, let me go see what, what this, it could be the mailman, could be anything. And she looks out the um, peephole and it's the girl, the teenage girl. And she's like, uh, I've never had a negative experience with this girl. Oh my God, is this a trap? Like she was going through all, you know, all the worst case scenarios in her head. She finally resolves like, well, I, I'll just see what's going on. Like, I'll just open the door. Like, I'll, I, I won't go outside. Like, I'll just, you know, look and see what's going on. She opens the door and she starts talking to this girl and she's very young. I think she found out like the girl was like 14 or something. And uh, she starts telling them that they picked her up. She was like a runaway and they picked her up at some bus station and told her a bunch of bullshit about, you know, they would take care of her and all this kind of stuff. And then got her home and she was terrified because the guy was trying to like fondle her and touch her. And um, because as they told her, they were going to, um, they wanted to get her pregnant so they could have a baby to sacrifice. Wow. And this, wow. this this story has been told the exact same way by my mom. I, I heard, my mom died over 20 years ago. My mom told me the story the exact same way. 
my dad did. It's never changed. And I mean, like, obviously, like, they didn't have any, like, otherworldly powers. Right. Like, having people who think <laughs> they're Satanists living across from you. Exactly. No, that's what I have always said. Like, I, there are these people who be like, that's not paranormal or that's not a cult. That's just random circumstance. Like, you're missing the point. Yeah, like, that's infinitely scarier in my opinion. Yeah. There's someone left a set like, OK, I, I was in Reddit and it was paranormal or something like that. And and um, I got led there from another uh, sub and this guy posted these pictures of these birds bones strategically placed on his hood and i took one look at that and i have a background as well in the occult so i looked took one look and i was like well that's a hex mm -hmm. that's clearly someone is putting that there either as a message a warning or a hex because right. because it's definitely and it doesn't look friendly to me especially the fact that they're using bones Right. So, That's what my dad said. It was like branches and bones and just different things they made like stuff out of that they hung. And he was like, it, right. it was hexes. Like they were trying to do spells, like cast them on us. They fancied themselves like these grand, you know, wizards in the satanic church or, or right. whatever. And it's like, okay, so what's scarier? Like somebody who for real is that or somebody who thinks they're that? Because I've always thought if I found out that all that shit was real, I'm like, okay, game on. Like, if that's right. real, then then the opposite is real, and I can get like a, not to go magic the gathering on this bitch, but like, I can get a circle <laughs> of protection with some white magic. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. No, you know, white, I got all white, those hey. I wasn't allowed to use them in tournaments. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in white magic. I think that, that like, you know, doing healing stuff and, and protective stuff, that... If if magic is real and it's not to me, magic is just a it's a it's a it's a headspace to get into, and not, that's all it is. Like yeah. it's, there's nothing mystical about it. It's yeah, just I think a, it's just energy, it's and a energy framework. can be positively charged or negatively charged. Right. And I think that's why like religious books like the Bible, like in Revelation, like say stuff like you know the power of life and death is in the tongue. Now, the, the context in, in that book was like, oh, the word of God, that's why you confess it. And I'm like, no, I think it was just telling people that, hey, the power in you, the power is in you to manifest good or bad things. You're telling right. a double-edged sword. Use it wisely. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> you've, got the, you've got thought, word, and deed. You take an idea, you put it into word. Mm -hmm. And then from that word, say you have instructions. Now you can share it with other people. And now together, you can put it together and do a deed. Right. It's 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 actually very misunderstood, the scripture. And I find there's quite a bit of truth in those books. Um, you just have to learn where the lawmen and the merchants have their say. Right. When, when you're a, taking that There's a lot of book. wisdom in the Bible, for sure. And I, yeah. I think I think you can always tell who, like, uh, somebody who's like a baby in the spiritual realm that came out of Christianity, because all they, all they want to do, all they want to do is just nag it and just talk about how much bullshit it is and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, dude, if you can't see the logic that's in the Bible, if you can't look at it in the context of which it was written 
and see why certain things were written, like them saying not to plant more than one seed in a field. Like they figured out that farmland had to like recover from harvest. And if you planted more than one seed, it wasn't gonna grow. Like when it says not to wear earrings, because that's how slaves were identified. Hebrew slaves back in the day. That's why it said no tattoos. That's what they did to identify slaves. That's why Hitler did it to Jews. You know? Yeah. Just without context, it just, it sounds like hooey, but it's like, you can't just throw the entire thing out and say, oh, this is all garbage. Because there are threads that run through Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity. Like all of these religions really... There's a lot of stuff that they really have in common. It's just that man comes along and is like, well, let me pervert this. And, you know, or King James comes along and he's like, hey, I got to hide the fact that I am homosexual and that is not cool right now. You know, (laughs) you know, and he's like, let me write all this stuff and then make sure they know that I know that that isn't cool because um, I do that. So I got to hide that or they're going to kill me. All right, the topic is what's, what movie has impacted you in a way, the way you react and think to things this day? And I guess that would be a scary movie. I got a real, I got a real quick one for this. Uh, are you all familiar with The Night of the Demon? Yes. No, I'm not. No. That's, a, that's uh, one hell well, of a I saw cover. this. It's a great poster. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that movie back in the day. I had gone to uh, my girlfriend's house back in, like, 10th, 11th grade. And we had gone to somebody else's house then, consequently, on Halloween. And we're watching that movie. And I just remember the most vivid uh, thing from that movie to me was when she's taking the lipstick and smearing it all over herself and rips her top open and then basically takes and circles her breast and then pushes the lipstick into her nipple and it disappears. Like, that <laughs> stuck in my head for so long. I'm, I'm scared of lipstick still to this day because of that. That's so funny because... <laughs> I kid you not, like... Um, I, I mean, we, we were talking about on one of the last episodes that we were together on about just the ritual of renting a movie and just how rad it was, how you just walked in and you like, you would get like, everything was about the cover. Mm-hmm. And the cover caught your, your eye. You would turn it over and like read the story. And I was obsessed with horror. And that movie had the craziest cover. And like we already discussed, um, I come from a very religious family and, Anything regarding possession or demons or anything like that was always extra, extra um, uh, appealing to me. And that cover with the chick oh, yeah. with the teeth that are just going crazy and the headdress, dude, that messed me. That and um, what was the other one that was crazy looking? 976 Evil. That one freaked me out too. With the, kid from, uh, with the kid from Fright Night. Okay. I I know the movie, but I don't think I've seen it. Ultimately, it's like a lot of stuff around that time. You know, it's it, there's a lot of campiness to it, but mm-hmm. um, it's you know, it's like your garden variety. There was a lot of satanic panic coming out of like the moral crusaders of the seventies, 
like there was just a ton of possession stuff in the early to mid 80s it was just yeah everywhere. yeah i i uh um i was for some reason thinking of um the movie, uh, the the oh no, I know what I was thinking of. I was thinking of the the, the magazine Fangoria. Did you ever read that? Absolutely, I had a subscription. I had too, and I loved it every every month when that mm-hmm. would come out, just mm-hmm. to see the artwork that they would do. You know, like I the, used to go the rubber to the masking. Yeah, I used to go to the mall where we lived. I couldn't afford it, but they had not only they have Fangoria, but they had um, what was it called, Cinemascape, and they had. Um, God, there was another one. Uh, I've got a bunch of old copies of there old was, copies. There was one called like Analog that was like sci-fi. Yeah, I remember that because I remember mm. the logo of it too. Um, and then uh, if you, but at the bookstore they had all that stuff, and I would go and read Fangoria because I could never, you know, that could never show up in my mailbox. Right, know. right. And they also had Playboy. <laughs> and we would like we would wait until the clerk was busy, and we would pull Playboy down and look at it. <laughs> I always found my uh, my porn in either well, aside from finding it in my brother's room or my dad's stash, which was immaculately hard to find, and he would move it all the time. But uh, I did find it eventually when I moved out. I found it very easily and by mistake, just by reaching up on a shelf. <laughs> I was like, "What's this? Oh, <laughs> okay." Cool, Dad. <laughs> but I think was... our generation, our generations. I walk two miles through the step, through the snow to school. Is I remember what it was like to want to look at pornography, but it was incredibly difficult to, and mm-hmm. you had to look at hard copy things. And then if you did, if you were lucky and you found like a VHS or whatever just like the anxiety and panic you had about like, as soon as you started the tape, you had to look at everybody in the room. If you were with people in the room or if you're by yourself, <laughs> you had to like look and go, okay, it starts when she's in the garden, in the garden, in the garden. And remember where to rewind the VHS. So whoever you ganked it from didn't realize that somebody else was watching it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was going to say, for me, the, the pornography thing, there was a, a like, mom-and-pop stationery store in town that had, like, a whole wall of the nastiest, like, cum rags you ever saw uh, as far as, like, magazines went. It wasn't just your basic, you know, Playboy and Penthouse and Hustler and stuff. They had, like, nasty right. shit. <laughs> and I remember yeah. being a kid and always, like... You couldn't you couldn't reach it unfortunately because I would have but uh, I remember like you know the clerk would she sweet old lady working in there would walk off and I'd be standing there kind of side eyeing all these covers and everything and getting an eyeful of it but it was like the nastiest stuff oh it was it was so it was so awesome <laughs> and I remember in the beginning of the internet when that kind of opened up a cornucopia of pornography, if you will. Um, I remember me and my dad um, joked about it. We didn't joke about it then because that would be weird because back when I discovered it, I was underage. So it'd be weird if you were with me. Yeah. Then. <laughs> but as adults, he would, he would joke about stuff. And I was like, Oh, you mean like back in the day uh, when you had to like wait ages for a, image to load and he was like yeah and almost at the same time we described the phenomenon of the white sheet while the the camera loads we 
we we referred to it in the same way. You know, it's like a a sheet, and the girl is or the scene is getting revealed because right. the image would load slowly, and you would get like <laughs> just a little bit of it, and you're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh. and you come back a few hours later, and it would be like an inch more downloaded, and you'd be like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, it's like a build up, the anticipation, it's just exciting, and you just like you're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Oh my god. And if you wanted a video, I, shit, you were downloading that Joker all night. There, oh, were, yeah. there was a lot of us that probably masturbated to partial images because you didn't have the patience to wait. 100%. 100%. <laughs> I can talk our... to, to Spice Channel um, being, being um, what should we call it, being fuzzy. And just you would just sit Scrambled. there, and it was like yeah. it was like a porn roulette game. You're like, give me, come on, give me a nipple, come on, give me a, give me a dick. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. I don't care if the it's, boob is green and purple, and it's got a big wave in the middle of it. I saw a nipple. Right, I saw a nipple. <laughs> yeah, and people counts. like kids these days, they don't know. They just get on Pornhub or something. They don't know what like build up is like, and they. They just go from zero to 60 from like, I'm curious to. There's no anticipation. Now I'm watching tentacle porn and it's like, good luck coming with real girls, buddy. Yeah, really. Yeah, there's there's, there's no anticipation. You don't want to be like Stanhope on your first date for with your first girlfriend ever. Be like, all right, sweetheart, this is going to be unpleasant for both of us. Just don't get any on your skin. And for God's sake, if you do, call the hospital immediately. Right. You know, um, it's so funny that we could even be in the, the midst of a Halloween conversation and, and, and talk about porn. That just, I don't know, that's very special to me. I, I, I think that when you have a group of people, a meeting of the minds like this, where, where the topic is anything and it becomes porn. Just Tom, you're in a, Tom, you're in a safe space, okay? I know. And you can be your yourself i mean like for those that don't know like tom and i met on a porn site that's right and then we wrote together on another website called inner field inner yes. Almost yes. Feel. <laughs> so it was you know we have very um i guess hedonistic and perverse origins although yeah. i want to say this because there's just not a lot of platonic relationships and especially with white dudes because white dudes a lot of white dudes are fucking awful y'all like they just are y'all know that yeah. they're just fucking they're just entitled and gross and shit yeah they are no you're not wrong at all our friendship um has never been gross or weird or anything we have been able to talk about the most disgusting profane graphic things yeah. and you've never been nothing but super duper cool yeah i've never been like lecherous or tried to like be like hey can you show me a picture of your tits right like, like none you know of that, that thing shit. you talked about can you like tell me that again but like slow down <laughs> well he was never like that with me he made me send him my polaroids and my dick many times damn it tom yeah <sighs> we all got our thing yeah you know <laughs> Yeah, Mike's Mike's thing is to defame me on my my own website or on my own podcast. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, what was the topic? <laughs> or, uh, it was it was a movie that has uh, impacted you. Yeah, I think a yeah. movie that well, has impacted you. Yeah. And, okay. So was that um, what is it called? Praxis. Uh, Freudian slip is that was that a Freudian slip? All of us to admit that pornography has influenced. I think I think so. Yeah, it definitely has influenced the way I look at the world. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that uh, fucking. I think it was a Dave Chappelle joke. It was either him or Chris Rock, and they're talking about guys that are addicted to going to strip clubs. Mm-hmm. And like they go to a regular club, it's like I gave her a dollar. She didn't do shit, man. We got to get to a real club. Speaking of Dave Chappelle, just side note, like, what do y'all think about it? Did y'all watch the new special? Did you have any thoughts on it? Do you think it deserves the hate it's getting? Like, what do you think? I have uh, not watched it. I've seen a little bit of it and stuff, and I. <sighs> He's always had a very political side to what he does, and I just, uh, I, 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 I mean, it felt like more of the same, just that maybe people are less tolerant of it right now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to say. I mean, I've only seen a little bit of it because I happen to be. I mean, like everybody else, since Norm Macdonald died, it affected me so profoundly that I found myself watching stand-up comedy stuff constantly. And of constantly. course, yeah. you're gonna in watching the Norm Macdonald stuff, you're gonna come across, you know, uh, your your Jimmy Carr and your Dave Chappelle and others. And uh, like for me, a lot of his stuff now, it isn't really shit that's laugh out loud. It's more observation. And uh, some of times it's just it doesn't come off as being funny. It comes off more as being sad. Like that's that's what I think. Yeah, I mean, I can I can see that. I think um, I think when he came back after the hiatus, he came back way angrier with yeah. um, understandably. So like when he came back, we were like mid Black Lives Matter, mid protests all the time. Like it was just insane. And um so I think um, that he's kind of gone off track being emotional. And I, I feel weird, like, uh, as a white woman saying that, because I don't know, like, you know, back in the day, I just give my fucking opinion about everything. But I'm like, you know what? Not everything needs like a white person chiming in, like, mm, let me explain this to you. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. let me let me white explain this black comedian. Hold on right. a second. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like I have more vested in it coming from a comedy background and um, being the the kind of person that said a lot of offensive shit. Like I oh, really yeah. in comedy, it's called working blue when you're like graphic and stuff. And I was just a huge fan of work. It just blue work. I just I would always go blue. And I That's would, why uh, you I, wrote for Inner Phil oh, for the exact right. same reason. That was entirely our. Our shtick was blue right. to the f- blue in the face. So, and in respect, I get it. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I think he got too ranty and angry in the last one. And I do think that some transphobia and homophobia kind of seep through. Uh, just because he's a great comedian doesn't mean he's perfect. But right. we're, we're yeah. living like yeah. in, an, in a day and age where like nobody's allowed to have flaws, whether it's like on social media, you got to fucking airbrush yourself. 
or you just gotta you gotta like be like i was born to perfect parents who steered me the right way and i've never had like a social um you know misstep i've never put my foot in my mouth i've never tweeted anything shitty I've never made a mistake. I've never been influenced by a shitty crowd and then been able to look back and go, wow, I really let peer pressure get to me or this, that, and the other, or I was showing out and acting like an ass because I was young. Nobody's allowed to, to do that. Nobody's allowed to like fail and learn. It's just, fuck you. You're done. You're canceled. Go away. And yeah. I don't believe there's a lot of learning there. And Damn. I think... Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, can you imagine George Carlin right now in this climate? Oh, Jesus. With his oh, act. God. I mean, if you <laughs> evolved his act to if he was alive today, then it would not be people would be talking about how horrible of a guy he was. But they would have missed the point, which was that everything that he said was to wake you the fuck up. He right. wasn't really as hateful as he came off to be. He was trying to wake right. people the fuck up. Right. Because if you read anything that he wrote about his wife dying, when his mm -hmm. wife died, he wrote a, a really heartfelt letter. And in it, he talks about, like, you know, the spirit of the infinite and all this stuff. And it's like, mm -hmm. you realize this was a very, um, to borrow a term from the, the new generation, this was a very woke guy. He was. And so much of his material, like, especially, like, stuff about Christianity and, like, uh, being pro-life, uh, if you're... If you're, uh, you know, if, if you're, you're pre-born, you're, you're, you're fine. If you're preschool, you're fucked. So like that exactly. whole quote about Christianity, like so much of that stuff that Carlin said was and still remains to be so true. The whole stuff about prisons and da 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 mm. and not in my backyard and all that. That's so yep. true. And he started out as like that hippy dippy character on, right. you know. And, and then he evolved, and I feel like Chappelle did the same thing. Uh, it doesn't mean they're. It doesn't mean they can't make missteps. It doesn't mean that they can't like you know miss on what they're really trying to do. It doesn't mean they can't get stoned before a show and like the delivery doesn't work. Like people just think that like once you get a comedy routine down, like you deliver it perfectly every fucking time. That's not how it works. You get out there and you're like, wow, I missed the segue from that joke to that joke. How the fuck did they know what I was talking about? And like <laughs> Dave Chappelle is human. He can do that. I, I'm not taking up for him in the sense that I thought that all of the shit that he talked about was cool. There were some cringy moments, but he also made some really good points in that special, as he always does. And it's like comedy, really good comedy, I feel like has to be in the the same kind of pocket as like Bill Hicks. It's got a it's it's philosophy. Lenny Bruce, you're like fifty percent you know, rant and 50% sage and then like 50% just completely fucking offensive. Uh, and, and like the funny is somewhere in between. Like you, yeah. you, you litter it like in between. The funny is usually the delivery. Really. Yeah. And the that's jokes, so easy to jack up. Yeah. Um, but if you've got something to say, um, what was it? I was watching something about, uh, I think it was Norm Macdonald talking about how, you know, like doing comedy that's meaningful is much harder than doing comedy, you know. And then he was he was playing clips of like, you know, Bill Hicks and Lenny Bruce yeah. and Richard Pryor and some of these yeah. other guys who <laughs> were just they're groundbreaking. And what they were what they had to say 
was for the good of humanity a lot of them especially bill hicks right Right. absolutely bill hicks man his message was so pure and wholesome and he was such a troubled person and and you know he he had a lot of struggles in his life and you know there were many times where he was beaten senseless for what he had to say on stage like like that that he makes allusions to it in his comedy but yeah, a couple of people beat the shit out of him, broke his arms and legs because uh, he made some Christian jokes and they, they yeah. tackled him after a show. You know, and me, another time I think he got his jaw broken because someone assaulted him outside of a show. This guy was relentless and he even had an album called Relentless. Yeah. Um, and, and he doesn't have, I mean, outside, Hicks is a lot like Norm MacDonald that he's a comedian's comedian. You know, Absolutely. he's the kind of comedian that other comedians look up to and go, wow, if I could only have hit that level. Exactly. You know, yeah. If I transcended only- comedy, like I feel like people like Lenny Bruce, like Bill Hicks, like honestly, even somebody like, you know, Mitch Hedberg, like they transcended comedy. They became mm. like a sage. They became right. like a not a prophet if they're a prophet is a prophet of comedy but like they they had so many just absolutely profound observations at a they time were like, like people weren't doing that they were like philosophers they were they were absolutely really standing on the mount there with their rock tablet in hand reading off the writ of the, the land right you know and like, it wasn't like is... oh you get canceled because you say that no back in the day like lee bruce and all that they were getting fucking arrested well, well, profanity. Here's the thing. Have have you one, have you ever listened to Lenny Bruce? Like listen to his material at length. One and two, in more recent years, have you listened to any Carlin or any Bill Hicks at length? Yes. It doesn't hold up as well, does it? Um, I feel like Hicks holds up, I think Carlin holds up, I think Richard Pryor holds up. Um, I think the part that doesn't as much hold up that people so often forget was that like these dudes were like trailblazers. Right. And they were saying things that had never been said. And we're living in times that are just it's just everything is reused and repackaged and remanufactured Mm -hmm. and rebooted. And we're like, fucking deal. What's the deal about this kind? It's like if you can't look at the content, we're just like the Bible. You got to look at the context. If you can't see that the fact that Richard Pryor was like done, the motherfucker like got a DUI, set himself on goddamn fire and came back and made one of the best specials of all time and made fun of himself and said just the most profound, amazing things. Um, but also being super duper funny at the same time, like people don't get that. Like that just, that just, wouldn't happen now if somebody did the shit that richard Pryor did now their career would be dead forever yeah, forever we wouldn't have had richard Pryor live at the sunset strip if he would have been a comedian now right right you know well, whose comedy you know really holds up for me these days old hey. comedians that really hold up bill cosby hey. <laughs> you you know, i said bill cosby and you said who's that you know, oh, no, I didn't yes. it's funny. It's funny, Mike, that you brought him up because I have to admit I was a Cosby fan and 
in the same way that I'm a Michael Jackson fan, regardless of what he may or may not have done, I have to give homage to what the guy accomplished comedically. What he was capable yeah. of doing without getting blue. I'm For really, you. really pissed off about... Not Cosby having to answer for his actions because he he and Steve Martin were like my goats when I was a little yeah. kid. You know, like you know, I wouldn't like shut up the gate listening to Pryor and Carlin. Those weren't the the comedians that made me want to be a comedian. It was like listening to um, Bill Cosby himself on my headphones mm-hmm. and uh, on the, my parents' you know stereo, listening to him talk about Buck Buck and listening to him talk about come here, come here. Like all the stuff, like he was so freaking incredible. And then just segue into the Cosby Show. I'm like, you know, we oh, like one of the few legitimately funny sitcoms, in my opinion. Absolutely. And not only that, it was you know at the Mm -hmm. time it was like up until then it was like we were seeing African American families like the Jeffersons and like the Jeffersons was like the first family that was like successful. And even then, it was shtick. And it was supposed mm-hmm. to be like, oh, this is funny. A black family would never be successful. That's why this is so funny. Every other black sitcom was like, um, oh, we we own a, 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 a junkyard. Oh, we're really poor and we live in the inner city. And it's like, that was the first sitcom that really showed like, a black dad that was Absolutely. successful yeah. and there and the it just wasn't riddled with fucking stereotypes and bullshit and i don't yeah obviously but he's I a mean, fucking I'm sedating fucking. rapist and i can never right. forgive him for that so yeah, well, absolutely but, but i don't think not we discounting that. that yeah it's like you've said before mike let's put it this way you've said before that there are like sadistic or not sadistic uh like like these old uh, wartime cartoons, um, uh, car- you know that 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 are very racially, mm-hmm. you know, offensive, and you say they shouldn't go away. They should be kept for, um, they should be kept for 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 historical purposes. Well, the same with this. I don't Absolutely. think it's wrong to... There's a difference, though, uh, to me between... You're talking about, like, private snafu and shit like that, where it's a good example for how not to be. And this is something totally different. I mean, yeah, the comedy might have been funny, but the man that was doing it was sedating and raping while he was doing it. And, I mean, I, 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 I see where you're coming from. But for me, it just... I mean, it could all be wiped off the slate as far as I'm concerned. But I was I was joking about Bill Cosby. I didn't. I mean, I really don't think that. I, that I adore him. It was relevant. a really hard thing for me to reconcile when all this happened. It really was. And the first thing I heard about it was Hannibal. Um, what's his name? Burgess or Burris? I can't. Burris. I can't remember. Burris. 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 Yeah, the first Burris. thing I saw was Hannibal doing like his shtick about it, which kind of blew it up. And it was supposed to be this like hidden secret in the comedy community. But my issue is, is how many brilliant fucking white men do we have that don't get canceled and they still get recognized for the work that they do. But because this is a black dude, like, it's just like, okay, canceled, you're done, you're done. And it's weird how selective we are, right? Because like Chris Brown got to keep keep his career, 
but is it because he beat up a black woman? If he would have beat up a white woman, would it have been the same? It's it's like things like that that you think about because you've got your Roman Polanski's, you've got you know Woody uh, Allen, yeah Woody Allen. You've got Einstein, who was just a notorious dickhead and was supposed to be a complete bastard to his wife. You have all kinds of brilliant people like that. We even have people like Van Gogh that was like stalking a chick and he cut off his fucking ear and all that shit and mailed it to her and it's like <laughs> and it's like urban legend almost like oh it's okay he was brilliant but when we talk about bill cosby it's it it sits different and somehow it feels different and maybe why? maybe because it happened within our lifetimes that's that's a fair point I think mm-hmm. I think that having been disappointed by this man in real time, that that creates wounds. You know, uh, these these comedians, these actors, these these performers don't live in a vacuum. You know, some of my earliest memories of comedy uh, come from from Bill Cosby, and I feel hard done by the man personally for for being such a fucking disappointment and such a trashy human being. You know, not not at all to, to take away the the individual and multitude of individual of, of individual cases in which he sexually took advantage of women. Yeah. You know, all those things combined, those make me furious. Furious that I have to sit here and go, Well, yeah, but I like this work. But right. I shouldn't have to have a butt on that, you know, because that's to me. And here's where I'm going to go over to Mike's side of the fence a little bit. I'm going to say that's like appreciating the the artworks of John Wayne Gacy. Hitler. Or Hitler. And you're like, oh, (laughs) he was such a delicate painter, you know, but but it's Hitler. You know what I mean? Like, like it's a fucking rapist. I do get your point. It sounds like somebody it sounds like somebody who always brings up. Like, but Hitler was good for Germany. He helped her. <laughs> right? Right. Right. And you're like, motherfucker, there's just some shit you don't say. He like, really yeah. united that country. Like, God damn, people. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and, and all this shit that I'm talking about, I think the reason why I feel like I got a dog in this fight is because I was a completely different person at 18. And so I have a level of empathy of what people grew up with, what they were taught, what their circle of influence was. I factor like all that in, and not to say that it, that in any way excuses what Bill Cosby did, because I'm a I'm a girl that's been drugged and sexually assaulted. I mean, I take that shit personally, and I thought it was fucking vile, and I've never in my life felt more betrayed than when I saw Bill Cosby live, and I, it was just. Like, it's the most awful, awful stand-up show I've ever been to. Really? (laughs) Absolutely. It was awful. He was, like, it was was like seeing the man behind the curtain. Like, it was like seeing the villain in Scooby-Doo take off their mask. I was like, oh. Like, this huge bubble of innocence from my childhood was burst because... Um, it was, he was just so nostalgic for me and it was, I was just so obsessed with him and, you know, Fat Albert was a big cartoon back then. It was Mm -hmm. really popular. It was just, it hit that like sweet spot for me to grow up on that comedy. And then for that to kind of unfurl into the Cosby show and my family watched it religiously. (sighs) 
it was it was really it really pissed me off but i'm like god i feel this way and i'm white like how do um people of color feel that this was like their first example of this um he said it perfectly it was a betrayal he betrayed all of us yeah because trust me i laughed my I used to laugh my ass off at the albums that he did. Chicken Heart mm-hmm. and all that stuff were fucking mm-hmm. hilarious when I was a kid. And mm-hmm. then he betrayed all of us by... And, and that's that's why I feel so harsh about it. That's that's all, yeah. you know. I, I didn't I mean to sure get us so off on a tangent. <laughs> we <laughs> went from Halloween to porn to Bill it's Cosby. It's my fault. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yo, I'm chatty and I have ADHD and I've been drinking, okay? Did anybody else have a movie? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just consider it a hang and you can just cut out all the bad stuff. What was your favorite childhood costume? Okay, so I had this tree in my yard that it was a Hawaiian tree and it had these bean shoots, these long bean shoots that would grow all summer long. And during mm-hmm. the fall, the, the, the bean shoots would drop out of the tree and their shoots would break in half. And they were kind of like hard. They weren't really, really hard, but they were hard. They were, they were kind of, you know, bendy. But they were about the shape that you could put them over your fingers. So I got like a pair of clippers and I clipped the, the ends off and I wrapped these things in tinfoil and put a, like a, just a fingerless glove on. And there was my Freddy glove. So I went out and I bought a little fake fedora, you know, a little plastic fedora. Nice. And I got, uh, my, my mom found a sweater that would work. And my, my brother helped me do the makeup to make my flesh look all rotty and burnt and, and waxy and stuff. Did he and put oatmeal on you, don't lie? What? Did he put oatmeal on your face? I don't remember. It's Remember possible. how everything special effects back in the day when you were a little kid was the equivalent of like mixing um, oatmeal and honey and then putting it on your face and letting it harden and then like trying to like goop grease paint over it? Or was that yeah. just... No, I, I, I don't know if I remember it being like a, a I remember like what those little packages you're talking about, like the plastic flesh and all that stuff. Yeah. But um, I don't remember them being edible, edible or anything like that. Well, I just remember like before I was allowed to buy all that special effects stuff, like using toilet paper and oatmeal and food mm-hmm. items and food coloring and Kool-Aid powder like dye my hair and my face like I used cherry I couldn't get away with like having fake blood so I would go and get like 20 pack because it was like two cents each or something crazy of cherry Kool-Aid and you put it in a bowl all the powder and you didn't put sugar in it so it wasn't sticky you just filled it with water and it's voila homemade blood and you put a little uh, corn syrup in there if you really wanted it to be uh, creepy Mm -hmm. mm-hmm And sticky. Yeah, so I, uh, I, um, I, I put together this costume with a little help from my family. And that's, those are always the best costumes when you're a kid, I think. Yeah. The ones where the family like, oh, I know how to make this better. And they throw in their own wisdom. Um, but I, I was 
in middle school, I think I was in seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade, yeah. and I was in the Halloween parade, and um, I won first place for my gate for my my age or for my uh, grade. Wow! That's awesome. Yeah, they gave me a a like it was like a coupon for a free pizza with one topping or something at a local <laughs> pizza shop, and I was like. Wow, you don't you don't even fuck around. You know exactly what to get me, you know. Right. Like back when I was a kid, the idea of that's my pizza, you know. Right. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> you would spend your allowance on pizza. You didn't even right. think about that. That's something mom and dad did. You but, didn't even have to do like a book report for that personal pan pizza, goddamn. No, there. man. And it wasn't a pan pizza. It was a full size pizza. It was a large. What? Yeah. Yeah, it was like, and back then, that's a good 15 bucks. Oh, yeah, pizza places weren't everywhere. There was like three pizza places, and you were just like shitting sparklers that your mom or dad wanted to even order a pizza. Yeah, I feel very (laughs) lucky in where I grew up in terms of the the pizza and the the cheesesteaks that are available. Because (laughs) there are some places in this country, like California, where you can't get a good pizza or a cheesesteak to save your life. My brother lives out there, and he's always telling me. One well, you of the first things he does when he comes home is he goes to such and such restaurant and orders such and such. Ah, eh, fuck them. They got the good weed. <laughs> That's true, they do. <laughs> Michael, what was your favorite Halloween costume? Uh, my favorite was the worst one I ever had. Uh, I dressed up as a washing machine. <laughs> You dressed up uh, as a washing machine? I was really? a washing machine, yeah. It was a big fucking, like, uh, appliance box. And my uncle helped make it. And I had a little lid that was leaning against the back of my head where I could, you know, like, put my head up through the top of it and had ropes inside of it, almost like suspenders, to, to keep it above my shoulder so it wasn't dragging on me. It was the most cumbersome and stupid costume ever. The worst thing to try to trick-or-treat in because I couldn't put my arms through it or anything like that, so my brother basically had to get all my candy for me. That was <laughs> that was my, that was my favorite costume because it was so bad. It's just <laughs> the worst fucking costume ever. What kid wants to dress as a washing machine? I mean, seriously. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, I don't know, like nine, something like that, probably. So beyond the age of reason, awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <it's> just <laughs> uh, you know, that was my uh, that was my year to pay homage to the uh, domestic machine. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. All right, all right, Linz, how about you? Um. If I'm going with like childhood, childhood, the first thing I remember that wasn't in pictures that I independently chose was a vampire hooker. And I know I did that because of Frankenhooker. And it was, it was like me trying to be Frankenhooker, like, you know, vampire teeth and a slutty outfit. And I took like parts of the outfit with me in my little trick or treat bag and then put it on so that my mom wouldn't see it. That was like a banner year. I felt like so grown up in my little life. Fuck me pumps and my fishnets, just pretending to be Frankenhooker and all that. But the one that I remember having the most fun with was um, I did not have a costume. And um, 
I can't remember how I got a hold of it. I want to say it was like one of my mom's friends was like a dental hygienist or something and um, had scrubs and got me a surgical mask. My mom was like, here, you know, here's for your Halloween costume or whatever. If you want to make something out of this, you can be a doctor. And my mom was like, you know, she's probably thinking like innocently of it, like she's going to be time to be a doctor and she's going to go door to door and she's going to be a doctor. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. And I went and got <laughs> like a $1 tube of uh, uh, fake blood. And I don't know how old I was, but you can track it with the year this movie came out. It was the year that Dr. Giggles came out. <laughs> uh, I remember that all I did was squirt fake blood and put handprints all over myself and do my hair really crazy. And I never said trick or treat. I just would go. <laughs> when people answered the door and I thought I you couldn't have told me nothing. Like, I thought I was so scary. I thought it was the best Halloween costume ever. I just felt, like, so cool and so grown. It was something that was just totally different from anything that I'd done before. And it was my first, like, full-core costume. And um, I just remember just loving scaring people. I loved the feeling of little kids being scared shitless of me. I was like, man, I like this, uh, I like this, like, you know, gore gig for Halloween. And that was the genesis of me doing a lot of really gnarly, scary Halloween costumes. 1992, by the way. 1992. 1992. So I was 13. I scarred a kid emotionally once. <laughs> Just once? Just once. Well, this guy had a lot of emotional scar scarring by the time he was adult, I'm sure. But he was my next door neighbor, and he comes over to my house. <laughs> and you know this story, Mike. I, I think. do. I do know and, this story. Um, my fr my other friend uh, James is over there, and so this kid comes over. He's like, "What you guys doing?" And it was around Halloween. And James had one of those um, hockey masks, like uh, Jason mask. And he's just sort of idly flipping it around. He sits it down on his feet. And we're saying, oh, uh, we're just uh, waiting for um, Jason's handler. And he's like, Jason? Who's Jason? He's like, oh, he's the boy that lives in my basement. He's, he, you can see his bedroom window from the floor like you know how you, those bedroom windows that come up out of the ground oh yeah so you can see his bedroom window it goes right across to your window and the kid turned like two shades paler and he was already pretty pale and he's like <laughs> well i don't believe you and then he picks up the mask and he starts doing it and he puts it on he's like oh we both immediately went oh no he's got your scent now oh you're fucked dude give me the mask back i'll try to wash it off <clears throat> And I take it inside. I'm like, I'll do my best, but that's his mask. He's going to put it on. Now he knows your smell. And so he's like, he's like, you know, trying his best not to cry. But at the same time, like trying to put on a brave face, like he's not, he's not worried about it. He's like, you guys are full of shit. I'm going to go to my house. We're like, okay. So we go back inside and I hear a knock on the door, but this time it's the back door. 
And this other guy I knew from my neighborhood's like just hanging on. He's like, hey, what are you guys doing, man? I'm like, nothing. You want to come in? Oh, I got a perfect idea for you. Ten minutes later, he's down in the basement wearing my, my dad's army jacket and the mask and hiding in the crouching in the dark under the stairs. And fucking <laughs> this kid comes back over eventually because this kid was kind of like syphilis or herpes. He, he kept coming back. And uh, you really couldn't do much to get rid of him. And so he, he, he comes back over and we're like, listen, man, I know I scared you. And I was, I was being mean. As a show of, you know, good nature, I'll, I'm going to take you down to the basement and show you there's nothing scary down there, okay? He's like, all right. So we go down there and we're about three steps, four steps down. And they were the kind of stairs where... Um, um, like you could reach through them from the back. Oh my god! And he reaches <laughs> and just strings his hand around the guy's, the other kid's, ankle, and that kid jumped right through a shoe. <laughs> he left his shoe in my basement <laughs> and ran up the stairs and down the street, out the open door, left the door hanging wide open. And down the street. I don't know where down the street was going to save him, but he was terrified. And I, I've never seen anyone run that fast in my and life. he left like a cartoon Acme like plume of dust behind him. Yeah, yeah. And his shoe. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. One of those canvas shoes that just slipped on and off. You know what I mean? Like one of those. <laughs> I can still picture it. <laughs> And somewhere, somewhere right now, that guy is doing a podcast and he's telling the story of how his neighbor scared the shit out of him as his scariest true story. Hey, I like that. <laughs> By the way, um, the movie that affected me profoundly, if you haven't been able to guess, was the Faces of Death series. Because yeah. that was the first time that, um, in particular, it was the genesis of, that was the first time I'd ever heard of, seen anything, the Holocaust. And um, there were, you know, of course, like kind of the snuff film at that time. We all know like snuff films are true now. Back in the mm -hmm. day, it was like an urban legend. And it was mainly just because we didn't have the technology to have like snuff films. But, you know, um, Hitler being the uh, uh, maniacal... Um, groundbreaker he was with his films um that was like the first snuff film i saw and and that was like my first exposure to like genocide that was my first exposure to like mass death any any like death really and i remember in faces of death the two things that really fucked me up were one um seeing like the bodies just multitudes of bodies and they're just limp just rolling and they're just so emaciated and they're like it's almost like they they don't they don't even look human although there's that thing in your head you're like i know these are humans but you can't conceptualize it almost because you know you'd never you just there's no point of reference and i just remember how terrifying that was to me and then also um the scene where they had the monkey's brain and it was mostly it wasn't because um the imagery was so graphic even though obviously like all that stuff's graphic but you know it, there's limited graphic um 
things in all of that footage just because it's black and white, you know, it's, it's, it's older, but it's not like the same as seeing everything in Technicolor and 40 and HD and all this kind of, you know, all this kind of stuff, 4k and everything. And, uh, but back then it was my first exposure to that. And after I saw like Jews being Jews and, you know, homosexuals and, you know, basically anybody that didn't fall in line with like, you know, his idea of what, you know, a pure race would be being dumped into these mass graves. Yeah. Um, yeah. I realized it was then that like the bubble was burst for me. And I realized that the scariest thing in the world wasn't, you know, the cold hand that reaches from under the bed because you accidentally forget to cover your ankle or the, you know, boogeyman that you're scared of or any kind of urban legends that you'd ever dream dreamt in your head. Like you'd built up all these supernatural imaginary things. And the true horror was the realization that everything's scary and wrong and ugly in this world wasn't caused by like monsters with like distorted faces and orcs and you know all the stuff that we see in movies now it was regular people and the devil's voice the devil's voice is sweet uh whoa i'm getting some feedback yeah i was gonna say the devil's voice is sweet to hear i've heard it say like they they just you know look like me and you and Mm -hmm. that's the scariest part was it was um now of course i can identify it when i was a kid but now i realize that the reason why i had so much anxiety i remember sitting right by that like register you know those um floor um vents in trailers where the the Mm -hmm. air comes up i just sat with my face and i just remember sitting with my face against that wall and just seeing the imagery of all that stuff from the Holocaust that I'd saw in Faces of Death and it just played in this like rent-free loop in my head. And I just kept thinking like, just uh, just let the sun come up because if the sun come up comes up and I'm okay. And nothing ever scared me as much as that. No monster, you know, no boogeyman. Things startle you, they make you jump. But the realization right. that man is the boogie monster your neighbor that looks just like your dad that's the monster that's the real terrifying shit mm. Mm. yeah i remember my parents or my mom telling me one day when i was a kid i was in elementary school so i couldn't have been that old and she said there's a, a boy moving into the neighborhood he's an older boy a teenager and you need to stay away from him and I said, why? Is he a bully? And he's like, he's worse. He's like, does he kill people? He's like, no, but it's really bad. And you need to promise me you'll stay away. And I stayed away from that whole street for years. And I later deter- learned that this guy was a child molester. Oh, God. Yeah, so, I just had to explain that to my kid. It was not, it was not a fun talk. Yeah. Hmm. Well, because, I mean... It's something that, as an adult, I can scarcely understand. As a child, I can't imagine what it must be like to hear that. You know, right. like, like, okay, there's a there's a, a man who wants to have sex with a child. I, I don't know what to do with that information. 
you know, like, clearly there's something wrong with that person, like, on a deeply spiritual and emotional level. And, oh, my, yeah. heart, and my heart goes out to them. But if they act on it, then I, I want to meet them with violence. I can't help it. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I, I, I realize that they're sick, but they've crossed the line. Right. And I think that this is the one of, isn't one of those sicknesses where, you know, you're you're compelled beyond measure. I think that you can you can withstand it if you learn how to. But you, yeah. you know, get a, get a fucking therapist. Don't ruin a child's life. You well, know? I think at a certain point, though, kind of people are lost, and unfortunately, yeah. you don't know what that point is with each individual person because we all have the different capacity to. We all have different emotional, um, uh, like we have IQs. I believe we have EQs and SQs. Yeah. And, and some people are just really incapable of, of grasping um, complex, um, spiritual, emotional, intellectual um, uh, concepts. And, you know, you can have a person that is just like we were talking about earlier that it's it's just almost like they're feral because they're like a product of this social conditioning and um the truth is is like social conditioning is like we're not dogs we're we're humans like we have the ability to know that we're being controlled yeah the yeah. dog doesn't know it's being taught this that or the other it just has it's Pavlovian response, right? It just has that, like, um, that instinctual response. But we are different. But then you also see people that are steeped in abuse and neglect. And there, there seems to be, like, kind of a point of no return that some people go through. And you just know, like, and it's not, it's not, I think a lot of people think it's super prevalent, but it's not. It really isn't. The people that just aren't good for society, that just need to be put down, I don't believe that they're that they're just everywhere, you know? Right, right. So many people are just a product of their experiences and their trauma and their, you know, limited capability of understanding their education, their circle of influence. We see the world in Detroit and Los Angeles's and New York cities and Chicago's. We don't see the world in Morehouse's and um, Jackson Farm and all these little rural places where people aren't exposed to diversity and they're stuck in these same ass backwards, you know, circles of influence that they've been in their whole life. Those kind of towns, sunset towns, Places you go where nobody evolves, everybody is about, even even like their clothes are like 15 years behind. They're like still wearing Tommy fucking Hilfiger and like they're, they're wearing bullshit that you're like, did I go back in time? And yeah. it, like, you did. Because and there's like one store in the whole, are you guys hearing that? Yes. What? So yeah, there's like this weird robotic, like echoey thing that follows. Is my it voice. gone now? Yeah. Okay, that was my air conditioner, and it just kicked off. So that must be like some kind of feedback because of that. Ah, uh, okay. 
Hmm. I was going to say, it was like... Uh, now I don't remember what I was going to say. Damn it. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I love when you get sidetracked. Um, y'all are doing a podcast with me, which mm-hmm. means that we will, A, get sidetracked, um, B, um, forget to talk about half the stuff that we're supposed to, <laughs> but C, have several, several side conversations that make up for it. You know, uh, I just looked at the time, and uh, we are way, way out of time. So that's going to have to be a story for another time. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Tom and Mike. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed giving it to you. Giving it to you like a healthy fear of nipples swallowing lipstick that Night of the Demons gave to me. Creepy shit. Have a question for us? You want us to talk about something on the show? Would you, dear listener, like to ask us a question? Send us an email at storytime with Tom and Mike at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you want to learn more about the show and get extras like links to the videos, sites, and other media, visit dembeans.biz. That's a dot biz because we mean business. Hell yeah.